a good afternoon. Welcome in a day later than usual, but I'm sure every bit as spectacular as it always is. This is the 573 Report here on Power Mizzou, brought to you by 573 Tees. We'll bring Mitchell Forty in in a minute, talk about uh, basketball as briefly as we can possibly get it done, and then move on to our conversations with Eli Drinkwitz yesterday and everything going on with Missouri football. Before we do that... Uh, your spot for all your Mizzou gear, Chiefs gear. They've got some Nick Bolton stuff, uh, Columbia gear, really any kind of T-shirt or visor or anything that you want is 573 T's downtown Columbia and alley a between 9th and 10th street online at 573 T E E S.com. I can't say for sure right now, if the physical location is open, I can say virtually nothing else in Columbia has been the last couple days. So just save everybody some trouble. Go online, 573 T's.com. Get your stuff. Uh, Valentine's day is coming up. I do not know if a Missouri t-shirt is an appropriate Valentine's day gift. But if it is, uh, you can go check that out there. And as promised now, Mitchell Forty is on the other part of your screen. And uh, Mitch, Valentine shopping at 573Ts, I'm, I'm sure you're on top of that. Yeah, obviously. I mean, every single holiday, that's my first my first stop is 573Ts. And I suggest everyone should do the same. Right, right after Valentine's Day, they'll bring out their Easter line, which I think will, uh, <laughs> will sell excellently. Um, so... I promised that we would address Missouri basketball and then move past Missouri basketball. Um, basically, the first first paragraph of my column um, from the game yesterday was, I don't need to watch this anymore because I already know what's going to happen. It's the same show every time. Um, good teams get to the end of the season and you can pick out a handful of games where you're like, hey, they could have got beat, but they got a little lucky or they made a play or whatever. And bad teams get to the end of the season and talk about how close they were to being good. And uh, I think we know by now which one Missouri is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, like you said about about knowing what's going to happen. I, I was proud of myself because I, I really called it quite well in my little preview. I was basically like, yeah, Colin Castleton's not going to play. So I think Mizzou actually matches up pretty well. They should have a chance. I would pick them to win, but I can't pick them to win a close game. So I picked Florida 66-63 and it was 66-65. Uh, and I'm really not bringing that up to brag, even though I, I kind of am, but more so to just say, like, it was pretty clear what was going to happen, even when they were leading for a lot of the second half. You know, we were texting like, well, I wonder how this is going to end. Like, we kind of it's not it's not so much a mystery of which team's going to win. It's just how is it going to happen this time? And like, you know, I, I get that everyone wants to blame the coach and, and ultimately he is responsible in college basketball. But like, it's just there's just, you know, guys making inexplicable you know, for, for lack of a better word losing plays when you've got someone fouling 90 feet from the basket and you've got you know guys not look not finding other guys who are open at the end and uh, you know other games it's it's you know coaching issues other games it's not getting a stop you know not knowing the scouting report it's just the list goes on and on but ultimately uh the result is the same well yeah and and again to give you credit i believe it was at the under four timeout you texted i am still very confident mizzou is not going to win this game and and they didn't um so i I really thought last night was the perfect example of whatever you want to believe going in, it kind of supported that, right? Because if you're one who who wants to say, hey, they, they're a player or two away and you know they're getting better and all that, like there were things that, that you could see that, that showed you that. If you're a person who 
tends to put some responsibility on players, which I think is fair. There was absolutely some some support for that last night. But if you're one of the ones who just every game you view, you view it looking for reasons to find a new coach. Look, the last two home games, I, I mean, a week ago, Missouri has has I, I'm sorry, Auburn has the ball up one with 35 seconds left. Missouri does not foul and Auburn wins. And last night, Missouri has the ball up one, 35 seconds left, Florida fouls and wins. And and again, it wasn't this strategy is guaranteed to work and that strategy absolutely isn't going to work. It was simply what gives you the best opportunity? And Mike White did the thing that gave his team the best opportunity and Conzo didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also I would say not e- not even just the lack of foul, but what you saw Florida do before that, which was actually pressure and make Mizzou execute, you know, some passes. They almost gave it away, take it out of the hands of their best free throw shooter and Amari Davis, and then foul not their best free throw shooter. Like it, it just, yeah, it, it was a, a really it, it drove home uh, the fact that one of the things that had been talked about for the eight days prior, which is that, you know, console Martin's strategy against Auburn was not the best. And for anyone who was still uh, holding, holding out saying it wasn't like it, it's pretty hard now. Yeah, no question. And we will, uh, we'll get to the football stuff in just a minute, but Chris Marion had a, a comment and do want to invite you guys. If you've got comments, questions, whatever, put them over in the queue. We certainly will get to those. Uh, if you just want to watch along and, and listen to what we have to say, we'd still appreciate those of you who are live, uh, hitting the like button on the show and, and, you know, giving us some nice comments and stuff like that. I'm told it all helps on YouTube. We've been doing this for two years. I still don't really know why, but we ask you to do it because people tell us it's a good things so uh you know we don't do our own research we just trust that what people tell us is good is actually good uh but chris says the best basketball program is in the state is st louis university they have a true point guard in mizzou lacks a true point guard and a go-to guy um i will agree yes currently st louis university is the best basketball team in the state i will not go so far as to say it is the best program i think the frustration in that statement is that It happens, I don't know, what do we want to say, maybe two out of ten years that SLU is the best basketball program in the state of Missouri. And we hear about it every day in those two years. In the other eight years, we never hear anything about how SLU is not the best basketball program in the state. And I understand there are different levels, and I understand why. My point is, good for SLU. They're better than Missouri and may make the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, I would say this, you know, yeah, good for SLU. And the point no point guard comment is absolutely correct. And it's easy to say like, oh, look, Conzo was supposed to recruit St. Louis. There was this guy out of St. Louis who who probably could have helped there. And I would agree. I, I just think that like the goal of, of, the, the goal of Mizzou should not be aspire to be what SLU is right now, which is a bubble team. Like, you know, yes, this season we were talking about that being the ceiling. But overall, that 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 is, should not be where it's at. And this is obviously one of the better seasons for SLU, which, again, is very good for an Atlantic 10 team. That's great. You know, if you're in an at-large consideration, you're having a really good year. For Missouri, which has a lot more money and a lot better facilities and should have an easier time getting talent on campus, the goal is to be, I don't know, like what Auburn is right now eventually. I'm not saying you're going to get there every year, but, of course, that's your goal. So I, I just think that, you know, yeah – Yes, SLU is better. I'm not going to argue that. Uh, I just don't think that's really that valid. Like, it's it doesn't do much. It doesn't move the needle for me to make me any more outraged or anything like that about the situation. And truthfully, if St. Louis University's basketball pro- slogan right now is we're better than Mizzou, like, 
there's like 197 programs in the country. That, like, that's not a high bar this year, to be quite honest with you. That's uh, true. Specifically to the point guard, like Yuri Collins is a kid. I saw him play at Peach Jam, and mm-hmm. I will say this. He's little. Like, your first impression is, man, I don't know if that guy's big enough. And to, I don't want to say defend Conzo, but every other Power 5 coach in the country missed him too. Now, the argument against it is, but the whole point was this is why he was brought here to get those guys. And and I think this goes back to, yes, it's been recruiting that's been a problem, but I've been saying for most of this year, it's been talent identification that has been the problem, in my opinion, because he has gotten four stars, and they just haven't really done a lot. And then the other guys he's brought in, just it, it's – I mean, so many guys have left. They haven't brought in good enough players in the portal. And so it's – it's all a part of recruiting, but when people say he's a terrible recruiter, well, that to me means nobody wants to come play for him, and that's not true. He has chosen the wrong people. What I question is when he's going out, and and, and look, this is not to say I know better. I didn't think Yuri Collins was going to like have a average a double-double. I wasn't beating the drum. Oh, my God, I can't believe Missouri's not offering this guy. That's not the point, but I don't get paid $3 million to know what a good Division One basketball player does look like, so I don't really feel that bad if I don't. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's yeah, it's not necessarily just recruiting in the strict sense of he can't get all the guys who he wants to come play for him. And I like that's been an issue at times. But usually the misses have been going to programs that Mizzou is never going to beat out. But then it's okay. Then you're turning to these project, you know, no offer type guys and picking the wrong ones. And like the other perfect example in the state is Isaiah Mosley from Columbia, who you know I I watched him play in the AAU circuit. I I did not think he was a Mizzou caliber player. Uh, you know, at that time he was a good athlete who could score, but his jump shot was funky and he couldn't really dribble. Um, I was like, you know, yeah, okay, maybe he can, you know, he can score on in this level in the AAU circuit and at Rockbridge because he's a better athlete than everyone. How's he going to do against better athletes? Terrible take on my part. I'm not a scout. Well, but, I mean, and, and so, to, to be you know, fair, the, the he argument, is not currently so, a Mizzou caliber player. You're accurate in that. He is far well, yeah. better right now than anybody on this team. Right, right. So, but the, the, you know, and argument sometimes is like, well, like every other power five coach missed on him too. True. But when Missouri's bringing in a bunch of guys with no other power five or high major, I guess, in basketball offers, it's like, okay, if you were going to do that, you got to at least pick the right ones. Like, yes, there's a chance it can work, but you do have to really thread the needle. You have to, you have to hit on all these guys. And, and that's, that strategy, I think ultimately is, uh, is part of why, uh, this team is where it is right now. Yeah, and, and I want to be clear. This team's more than a point guard away. Like, I think that's the biggest problem. It's not the only problem. But there was a question in my mailbag about this, and I promise we'll move to, to football after this this little topic. But, you know, they said, what was the miss? I had forgotten that, you know, Brandon McKissick was a kid that they chased last year. I saw absolutely zero out of Brandon McKissick last night for Florida to tell me that Missouri should feel bad about him not coming here. The, it, it's real simple to me. The miss was the guy that was already on the team last year that they just couldn't get along with and let go to LSU, which, by the way, looks a lot better with Xavier Pinson on the floor than it does without him. And I, I don't want to relitigate this case, whether it's Conzo's fault or X's fault or whatever, but the point is eventually you've got to make some of these things work, right? Like we keep hearing, well, it, it, we're better without him. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. Program's better. Bad kid. Didn't fit in the locker room. Whatever. Eventually, the only common denominator is that you don't really seem to be able to 
nobody seems to be able to live up to your standards, and then they leave and you're worse. I mean, that's the point guard. The player they need is playing for LSU right now. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, there is a world where you could have lost Xavier Pinson and still been fine if you got another point guard, but that's a hard thing to do. Like, you know, uh, what's his name? Wendell Green out of Auburn, like kids from Eastern Kentucky. You wouldn't think you'd have a ton of competition there. Cornell Mann played with his dad, but then when you've got Auburn coming and saying, hey, come be a part of this team that we think, you know, could win the national title. Yeah, it's hard to compete with that. It's hard to, to recruit transfers because everyone's doing it. And if they see someone can, I mean, it, it basically what I'm saying is it, the, the path is much easier to keep that guy on your roster than it is to go find it somewhere else. And you bring up kind of a good point there, too, with transfers. Most of them aren't looking for a place. Hey, we got nine new guys like we probably aren't going to the tournament next year, but maybe in two years. Most transfers want a thing where like, Yo, maybe if I join, we can go to a Final Four. You know, that's what a lot of those guys are looking for. True Divinity has a basketball question. How would you handicap the chances Conzo is gone? Look, we're just going to say they're 50-50. We don't know. We'll figure it out at the end of the season. Um, you know, do want to move on to football real quick. Well, one more question. Kobe Brown went from number four on the bench to Mizzou's best player in an offseason. Um is it that he's always been this good and should have played more? Or is it because someone had to score? Why not him? Well, it's both. But, like, Kobe Brown started all last year. He was the fourth yeah. best player on that team, but he wasn't the fourth player. He wasn't, like, number nine in the rotation. Yeah, I think the last few games have shown that uh, he's more suited to that role, you know, being a, a third or fourth option than being a go-to guy. He's had some really nice moments this year, but basically whenever the other team just decides, okay, we're not going to let Kobe Brown breed us, he can't. And part of the issue is that no one else can either when other teams do that, so every team does it. But, yeah, I mean, like, what's it been? Oh, four or five games in a row now where he hasn't gotten to double figures, so – um, yeah, I, I just I don't think he's quite at the level where he's an you know an everyday go to put the team on your back type scorer. Right, because he's a tweener. He's not big enough to bully a lot of people down low, but he's not a good enough shooter to just stand out there and hit five in a game. Um, so I promised we'd we'd spend most of the time on football, and we will. Not as much time as we spent with Eli Drinkwitz yesterday, which was was pretty close to forty five minutes. So we posted the entire video. I would like to take a, a quick second to thank whoever it was that made the worst weather day of the year also pretty much the busiest day of our year so that was awesome i, I enjoyed yeah. that um but we did get drinkwits for about 45 minutes uh ended up it was supposed to be in person ended up going to zoom because nobody could really safely drive yesterday um it just i, I guess i'll just kind of let you start wherever you want to start what was kind of the the thing out of all that that jumped out to you yeah, uh, there's a few different a few different ones. Um, one would be just that, like, when you asked him, you know, is taking 10 transfers the new normal now? He didn't say no, and I kind of expected him to. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it, I think, even last week on here, saying, yeah, this is probably a little more of a one-time thing, trying to rebuild the program, but then you want your guys to, to – to be a part of it. And I think maybe he, his point was, yeah, that'd be great. But we also, you got a plan now for a lot of guys to move on. It's hard to get a guy to sit on the bench for two or three years and develop and then, you know, play for his last two or whatever. Um, so then you, you probably have to fill those guys with transfers because otherwise your team's just going to be perpetually young. And that was something, you know, that he said he was glad he was able to do this off season where you're, you're not bringing in, I don't know, 25 high school kids and just having a really unbalanced roster that the transfers were able to do that. And also that transfers now too can kind of take the place of a high school, a high school recruit. Um, and, and it, 
can be better in some state in some circumstances because they don't then have that free transfer. So you're guaranteed that he's actually going to stick around and develop, you know, like Ian Matthews out of Auburn, Drayden Norwood out of Texas A&M. Those are two kids. They didn't play at all last year. They're probably not going to play a ton for Missouri this year. You know, you're probably looking at them being a one or two year project before they're really planned, but they've got four years of eligibility left. It's basically like a freshman. So I thought all that was interesting. Just a little bit of a window into how the transfer portal has changed recruiting and how Eli Drinkwitz is approaching it. I, I thought, you know, just yesterday as a whole was kind of interesting because we talked to Drinkwitz for 45 minutes and there wasn't a single question asked about the two high school kids they signed, nor should there have been. That wasn't the story of yesterday, which is, you know, and I can't remember when this early signing period started. I want to say it was only a couple years ago. So I know you had at least a couple years working with us where first Wednesday in February was kind of a big deal. And that yeah, was- I actually think, I think my first, I think I joined the year I joined. It was like, I joined February 1st. I think that year was the first year of the early signing period. And it was weird because everyone was still getting used to it and they didn't have a press conference in December. So we were asking them all these questions about kids that had signed like two months ago if I remember correctly. Right. So point being like years ago, you know, yesterday was this, I, I mean, I remember a couple times where uh, it like got up at 6 a.m., drove to St. Louis, covered things there, came back here, covered the press conference, and then just stayed at Mizzou Arena because they had a basketball game that night. Um, it, it was a 15, 16, 17-hour day, and yesterday was just kind of like, oh, hey, let's talk to the coach because we haven't talked to the coach since the end of the football season, so we've got a lot to talk about, but none of it's about this these, the, these high school kids that signed today. To me, the most interesting part, and I don't know whether it should be encouraging, discouraging, or neither, uh, but the interesting part to me was was when Drinkwitz started talking about the offensive coaching changes and why he kind of was making them. And, you know, Bush Hamden now working solely with quarterbacks, Jacob Peeler doing receivers, all that. Um, and, and he admitted, he said, you know, the quarterbacks were playing well at the beginning of the year, but we had some other issues. So I gave up some of the quarterback stuff and went to address some of those other issues. And then our quarterbacks fell off. So I, it, it, it to me was a good moment of kind of recognition that he can't do everything, right? Like he's going to have to, he's still going to be the OC and he's still going to call his plays. But like your job is the whole team. The reason you get paid $4 million and these other guys get paid, you know, 400000 or whatever it is, is they have one position. They have three or four guys. Your job is to oversee everything. And I, I really do think, as I've covered a lot of coaches that say, you think you know what that's like, but until you really go through it and sit in that chair, you can't really appreciate all the different things that you've got to have your finger on the pulse. Yeah, so that was the other thing. Yeah, I was I was thinking about bringing up is it, it, I thought it was good candor, honestly, and uh, you know I don't know if it'll end up making a win loss difference, but I, I definitely believe that it will help free Eli Drinkwitz up to do things like he mentioned, you know, re- recruiting high school kids, but also recruiting boosters and donors, interacting with them, you know, having some more time to just kind of you know take the pulse of the locker room, meet individually with all the players, not have to you know try to be the the quarterback's position coach in addition to all of the other head coaching responsibilities and like you know you're talking about game strategy stuff like when to go for it on fourth down all that like all of that is the part of the head coach's job and I, I do think when when people during the offseason it was a popular thing of just like oh well he needs to hire an OC and and we, we both push back against that a little bit like you know he one of the things he's actually really good at is calling plays or at least is supposed to be so you don't take that away from him but I think this maybe was smart in that it does free him up a, a little bit to 
for, you know, focus on some of that other stuff and give more attention to the most important position on the team. I mean, if you're going to have a spot where you're not having a coach full time, you don't want it to be quarterback. So, yeah, Bush Hamden's going to do that full time. Um, and then Jacob Peeler obviously will take over the wide receivers. And it, he mentioned being in a defensive line meeting earlier in the week. And like, you know, look, we weren't over there ever. I don't know. Maybe every one of his players felt like he knew him great and all that. And maybe this is a little bit of a leap too far. But you do wonder when the head coach is the play caller and he's also the quarterback's coach, you do wonder if there are guys like in the defensive backfield who are going, like, is he my coach or is Steve Wilkes my coach, right? Just because he's not – and he's still an offensive guy, so I'm not saying he's going to be in the linebacker room every single day. But I do think it probably is important that maybe you have a little better handle on the pulse of the defense and you get to know those guys a little bit better. I I, I overall think it's, it's probably the right move. I mean, and then, hey, if the quarterback plays awful next year, then whatever. Eli Drinkwitz can blame Bush Hamden for it and fire him and go find a different guy, I guess. Yeah, and, and speaking of the quarterback play next year, I guess that kind of transitioned to one of the other things he talked about, which was he didn't rule out taking a transfer quarterback. Uh, he, he also definitely didn't say it will happen, but he basically just said, we reserve the right to make this team better and bring in whoever we need to do to do that. And I've told the guys that, like, we haven't found a guy who's the right fit for us or who is Missouri is the right fit for them. But if we do, we we might go get that guy. So that's interesting. Um, I mean, basically what I expected him to say, I don't think it necessarily makes it more likely that uh, that they go get JT Daniels, but I thought it or someone else like that, but I thought it was newsworthy. Yeah, it, I, I thought two things. I mean, first of all, yes, it was the politician's answer, right? It was the mm-hmm. smart answer because he did not paint himself into a corner of anything because right. now if they do go get a grad transfer quarterback in May, nobody can say, Yo, man, we talked to you in February, and you said no chance, right? I mean, he did the smart thing. But the other thing that I did think was interesting is he said, we didn't find the guy who was the right fit in the portal. And then he actually kind of stopped himself and said, or we didn't find the guy who thought we were the right fit. So that tells me whether it was Spencer Rattler or somebody else, there there were at least some conversations. and, And like I wrote last week, there has been a conversation with JT Daniels. Now, whether that goes anywhere or not, I don't know. But Missouri has talked to JT Daniels, at least. Or his people, <laughs> however that works. I don't know how it right. works. Right. And, yeah, for people who don't know, he's he's going to stay at Georgia through this spring semester. So he's not really in any rush to find a, a new destination. So we'll see what, what develops on that front, if anything. But, yes, no, you're right. I mean, he definitely, the way he spoke it, it seems as though Mizzou definitely at least tried kick the tires on several different, or at least one quarterback, probably more than one. And we are, I mean, what we think about three weeks from the start of spring football, which is a little crazy because I don't know about you, we have 10 inches of snow on the ground right now, so that, that's awesome. Um, but, you know, I, I think it was just a good chance. Like, I honestly kept expecting them to say, okay, one more question, the Zoom's over, and it just kept going, and we got them for 45 minutes, and I felt like we actually got to ask at least most of the things that we feel like have been important in this offseason. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, a few other notes on the staff. I found it interesting that he did 
basically call Blake Baker the number two on the defensive coaching staff. Um, and, you know, maybe he would have said that about Charlie Harvison before. I know he was like the associate head coach or something like that, but he never, I, I never heard him say that about anyone else. So like, I don't know, almost to me, it was just like, Hey, like maybe we got our guy if and when, if for some reason Steve Wilkes leaves or whatever. Um, and, and he talked a little bit about just like, you know, yeah, it, it wasn't good enough last year. And he said that about multiple positions, but he said it a couple of different times about the defense. He said, you know, I, I didn't want to make a change in scheme. I thought they were, they were understanding the scheme and playing better towards the end, but it's gotta be better this year and uh you know he 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 basically framed that as a reason why some of the staff changes were made which would you know support the idea that's been floated out there a little bit that like you know someone like Aaron Fletcher maybe was was told to move on right and he did um and and I want to be clear all this is hey it's off-season talk and he's pretty good oh, at yeah. off-season talk and he always says the right thing but I I did appreciate I saw him on Feinbaum briefly yesterday and he said his dad told him like you know, you got to win more to talk, man. Like win games, then then you can talk, right? But he said he he said all the right things, including and I think this is a message Missouri fans need to hear because they're so excited about this recruiting class and they should be excited about this recruiting class. But Drinkwitz made the point yesterday. Okay, if we actually want to do anything, if we want to be good in this league, then we need this recruiting class again next year and again the year after that. Like, we've got to have three or four of these classes to compete in this league. And that's, I remember when Missouri first came in this league, you know, they, they landed Evan Bame and Missouri fans were over the moon. And I said, that's great, but you're literally in a league where two-thirds of the league has Evan Bame every year, right? You need, you need one or two Evan Bames every single year if you want to be a part of this, and that's where Missouri hasn't gotten lately. Now, that doesn't mean Drinkwitz is going to go get them, but I do like putting it out there just saying, hey, that's great. I'm glad you guys are excited we have the number 16 class in the country, but we got to have the number 16 class in the country again next year, or it's not really going to matter. Yeah, that's very true. I also I did find it a little interesting, just kind of funny that like, you know, yes, this is Missouri's highest rated recruiting class by far. But like on both signing days, there was like a little hint of people being like, man, I thought we could do better. And it's just kind of like, well, you're number 16 in the country. You've never been there before. I get it. Like part of it's just like wanting to be entertained with like, you know, you know late additions or something like that. Um, and we talked about that in December, if like Luther Burden had signed on or committed on that signing day, the outlook would have been entirely different. But uh, I do think that that people are, are at least getting, you know, raising their standards along with Eli Drinkwitz there. Um, okay, let's get into a couple questions here. And if you've got questions, throw them up. We'll, we'll answer them before we, we sign off. But we want to hit on, on what you guys are asking. Uh, Jared says, I know it's standard to send an offensive and defensive player to SEC media days. What are the chances we see Martez Manuel and Harrison Mevis? Like, we're a long way from me having any idea. I mean, yeah, Martez is a good talker. I don't know. Eli's approach last year seemed to be let's send two guys that will not be – controversial or super exciting let's stay out it let's let's let me make the statements that are going to make headlines down here and the players can can have their own thing um i i i get the mevis thing but i'm i don't know man i don't think you send your kicker to sec media days yeah i i've not thought about it until now i i, I don't think it'll be mevis I, I hate to say it uh he's a good kicker he's not a great interview he doesn't really say anything so uh yeah i martez makes sense he's a team captain he's gonna be a senior i guess or fourth year player um but yeah we'll see yeah and offensively i i don't know uh 
I, I literally, they'll send Bensi Polgar. I just wanted to say that because we both learned how to say his name when, uh, when Drinkwood said it yesterday. So Keegan says, what are your thoughts on the pissing match between the SEC coaches about NIL? I, so did you see Jimbo's rant yesterday? So I, no, basically is the short answer. I, I saw tweets about it and like, you know, little blurbs about it, but I, we had like tons of stuff going on yesterday. I never actually listened to the full thing. Well, and, and I was going to say, I didn't have time to listen to it. I'm, I assume as fast as Jimbo talks, it only took four seconds for him to say. Probably, so I probably, that's true. <laughs> I probably could have listened to it, but I mean, my initial reaction was, I don't know when you, when you come out that defensive, maybe there's some truth to what the other guy's saying. And, and also like, I don't care if he paid $30 million for his recruiting class. It's legal. In fact, if he did, he should probably be telling people that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what was kind of weird to me is like for my reaction almost was he's so defensive about it. It mustn't, it kind of must not be true because if it was, he would probably, if he was smart and I think he is pretty smart as a recruiter come out and say like, yeah, we got the big bucks. Like we're out spending Alabama now. Like that. Yeah. Come be a part of this. So I don't know. I, I do enjoy that. What was the message board name? Like sliced bread or something. I enjoyed that a message board and a message board name got brought into this. That is kind of fun. Cause it's just a, yeah, I I mean, like, you know, that's what we deal with every day. I like that that it's being acknowledged or, and making its way into the mainstream. Um, I, I think that probably where it's coming from is like, you know, anytime a school and like Mizzou is included in this recruits above where they're normally, you know, their history or their recent re rankings suggest they should be recruiting. Everyone's immediately like cheating, cheating, cheating. But in reality, like we know, and again, also now a lot of this isn't illegal, but like the teams that were at the top were already cheating or paying now legally. So it's just like, well, maybe they're just doing the same thing you were always doing, but because they were always doing it, it was okay. I don't know. Well, it, uh, sliced bread is the college football version now of deep throat. But um, mm -hmm. I, I also want to say, like, I saw a lot of Jimbo's comments were like, we're coming and they're, they're threatening we're here. Yo, Jimbo, win some games. Win anything yeah. that matters because <laughs> that's true. You guys, the come talk on. thing on quote on uh, yeah, his quote on fine bomb applies perfectly to to Jimbo Fisher. Like, do some winning and then you can talk. Right. That that's great. You beat Alabama last year. You know, you didn't beat like four other teams that kept you out of the SEC title game. Um, and also like Lane Kiffin. There's a lot of coaches that want to be Lane Kiffin and that kind of do a Lane Kiffin act. He is none of them are nearly as good at it as he is. Like he can poke that needle in exactly the right place. And I think it's because like, I don't really think most people would say this about him. I think he's crazy intelligent and like, he just knows exactly how to kind of screw with somebody where like, I'm going to, he is, he's the real life version of an incredible message board troll. Like he's the guy that walks right up to the line and he leans over it, but he never really breaks the rule, so you can't kick him off the board. But everybody keeps falling for his shit, and they get angry about it. And so he gets exact like Lane Kiffin is the original troll, and he's phenomenal at it. And everybody else tries to do it, but they're just not as good as he is. 
Yeah, he's just very good at getting attention in general, whether it's the trolling stuff or just like, you know, some of his uh, like putting DK Metcalf and AJ Brown's numbers on his masks and switching during the game or whatever. I mean, I, all kinds of stuff. He wants I mean, he attempted a 77 yard field goal in a game. Like he's just he's just a goofball who who's, likes attention and knows how to get it. And is, that's effective in, in uh, modern college football. Like that's an important thing. And also he did win 10 games last year. Like he. His team overachieved last year, you know, and so he has earned the right. Right now, Lane Kiffin walks on water in Oxford, Mississippi. He can do absolutely nothing wrong. So uh, do it while you can. Look, I, I think it's great. I say all the time, like, we complain that these coaches are robots and they, that, that they say nothing. I refuse to rip them when they finally say something, you, you know, like – do it. It makes our jobs better. It makes it more fun. I don't want to sit here and transcribe another press conference about, uh, you know, yeah, signed all the guys we wanted, hit our numbers, everybody else is doing a real good job. No, give me some shit talking between these guys. That's way more fun. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> So, um, I will appreciate you guys watching uh, again day later than usual because we did have uh, did have National Signing Day and basketball yesterday and Snowpocalypse 2022 and all that. So, uh, plenty of things packed into Wednesday. Push this back a day. We should be back on Wednesday next week. I think uh, Missouri basketball plays A and M again. Missouri women are actually playing right now as we do this against Ole Miss. Um, there really isn't too much else going on. Like this is, I, I think we've got about three weeks till till spring football, softball, and baseball all start. But this is kind of like this is as close as we get to a break until until like May. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it usually like in some years is a busy time because there's basketball. But uh, as we as we said earlier in the show, we kind of kind of know what's going to happen there at this point. Yeah, there's still basketball. It's just not as busy. So, all right, Mitch, uh, we'll, we'll let you run, man. Appreciate it. Um, we will talk to you next time. And uh, everybody watching, we will talk to you also next time after we remind you one more time that 573Ts is the place that is going to outfit you, whether you want a T-shirt, a visor, long sleeve, whatever. they got all kinds of stuff down there. Go on their website. they got some Power Mizzou stuff. They've got a whole section for the name, image, and likeness things they're doing with different Missouri players. Check that out. Um, again, Chiefs, Blues, Cardinals, Royals, whatever you want. Uh, you get a Shakespeare shirt. They've got all kinds of stuff, so we certainly encourage you to check them out either uh, in downtown Columbia between 9th and 10th Streets on Alley A or online at 573TEES.com. Please do that. Also want to ask you one more time before you check out here of this room, if you watched along live with us, we certainly appreciate that. Hit the like button. We also know we do this during the day, and a lot of people – uh, have jobs that they work during the day and may catch this on the podcast. So if you're listening on the podcast, leave us a nice review wherever you get your podcast. We, we're on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. There's some other podcast things out there we may or may not be on. But wherever you're listening, please make sure to uh, say nice things about us. We appreciate you. We will be back on this show next Wednesday. Uh, we'll have uh, another episode of Hanging with Mookie Cooper for you on Tuesday. And so subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow along with everything we do there. We will talk to you guys later on.